holiday season was upon us and the Thompson family loved to decorate for it. The Thompsons celebrated Christmas and it was a family tradition to go out every year and find wonderful things to add to their collection of decorations. They had become quite well known in their neighborhood and the surrounding area for their annual holiday display. Many people drove by their house every year to witness the spectacle of lights, sparkle, and sound. The evening had been featured on one of the local television news shows. The tradition had begun when the parents, Aaron and Simone, had gotten their first apartment together. The couple were not even married at the time. Like many couples, they started out with very little. They both had survived difficult childhoods. Aaron had grown up in what was known as the system. He had been seized from his parents by the Department of Child Safety at the age of five. He started out in an orphanage, but was quickly placed into foster care. From there, he was transferred through different foster homes for different reasons. He acted out a lot as many children of the system do, and as a result, he was never adopted. He spent his final teenage years living in a group home until eventually aging out of the system when he turned 18. After that, he was enrolled in a program which allowed him to live in a state-owned dormitory and provided him with job placement. He eventually began working as a staff member of the group home that he had spent his teen years in. Simone had a different but equally tumultuous upbringing. Simone had actually grown up in another state. She was raised in a small mining town that was near a larger city known for its casinos and legal prostitution. Her father had worked in the mines until an unfortunate accident had left him permanently disabled. The accident had done more psychological damage than physical, however. He was already an angry person, but the accident had made him bitter with life. He became aggressive and moody and abusive. Over time, he had become addicted to the opioid painkillers the workman's compensation doctor had prescribed him. Simone's mother worked as a cocktail waitress at one of the small, run-down casinos in the outskirts of town. She often took on extra shifts to make up for the income they lost when Aaron was injured. The town had a problem with methamphetamine, as many small towns do, and Simone's mother relied on it to keep her going at work. The combination of her parents' respective addictions caused them to be abusive and neglectful. Simone had practically raised herself from a young age. For years, she followed her own daily routine of getting herself ready for school and leaving the house while avoiding her parents. Simone turned 18, her senior year, and when she graduated high school, her parents didn't even know. She took a backpack of bare essentials with her to her graduation ceremony, and after receiving her diploma, she went behind the bleachers of the small football field, stuffed her cap and gown into her bag. Then she walked to the Greyhound bus station, bought the cheapest ticket available, and never turned back. Erin and Simone had met one morning at her place of employment. She had gotten a job at a fueling station slash convenience store when she first arrived in town. One morning, she saw Erin slowly pulling into her station and park on the outer perimeter. She then watched him through the windows as he struggled to figure out how the scissor jack that came with his car he was driving worked. When her work duties took her outside to clean the parking lot, she decided to check on him as he had been at it for quite some time. She showed him how to change the tire after he reluctantly admitted to her that he had never done it or even been taught how. Afterwards, he thanked her and explained that he was on his way to work but wanted to show her gratitude. He offered to buy her a coffee and she accepted with a smile. The two exchanged contact information and planned the date. Their first Christmas as a couple, they were also celebrating their first apartment together. 
They rented a small studio flat that was conveniently located between their two job sites. They had little money or space, so they elected not to put up a tree. The couple felt they needed to bring some kind of holiday spirit into their home, though, so they went shopping at an antique store that was behind Simone's workplace and found an old nutcracker that they both liked. The nutcracker stood guard on their bistro table that Christmas, and thus, a tradition was born. Several years later, the couple still practiced the tradition with their children. Time and hard work had helped them grow as a couple and start a family. Both had moved on to better jobs, and they were able to buy their first house just before their oldest child, their son Taylor, was born. Luckily, they bought a large enough house because it wasn't long before their other two children would come along and fill out the family. Taylor was now 11 years old. The middle child was their daughter, Madison, who was 10, and the youngest was their son, Trey, who was 7. Every year after Halloween, the Thompsons would begin their search for the year's decoration addition. They had a rule for the search that stated that the decoration had to come from somewhere like a yard sale, thrift shop, or a craft fair. The first nutcracker had come from an antique shop, so they used the story to set the precedence for the search. It was one of the things that interested the local news stations when they were given their spotlight. As vast as the family's holiday display had become, they had purchased almost all of the decorations previously owned. The exceptions were customized annual ornaments that depicted the family's names which hung on their tree and the handmade items that had been purchased from artisans. Sometimes the acquisitions were large ones, like the giant inflatable snowman or the old plastic sleigh depicting Santa and his reindeer that adorned their front yard. Other times they were smaller, like the wreath on the front door or the star that topped their tree. They never sought out to find anything in particular to add to the display, but they always knew when they had found their new item. This particular year, a new thrift store had opened near their home. They were excited to shop there because it was not one of those large corporate-owned stores. This was a small, privately-owned shop in an old shopping center. Simone drove by it the day they began sitting out for their holiday merchandise and told the family. They eagerly made a trip to explore it on the first day they could together. As the family sifted through the shop's holiday decorations, the Thompsons found many wonderful items. There were a lot of things they already had and some things they didn't, but nothing was really standing out to them until Aaron stumbled upon a classic piece that was missing from their collection. At the end of the holiday area, sitting on top of a display case, was an elf on a shelf. Aaron excitedly called over the family, shouting, Everyone, come over here! and took it down from the display as they gathered around him. Surprisingly, the Thompsons didn't have one. Although the classic elf on a shelf had experienced a resurgence in popularity thanks to the internet and were available literally everywhere at Christmas time, Thompsons did not own one. They had their rule about the places to find their decorations and their yearly searches had not yielded one. Simone was excited as well, but the same could not be said for the children. Taylor no longer believed in Santa Claus or any of the like, so he thought the elf was a silly idea. Madison and Trey were still believers and had seen these elves and knew the premise of them. Madison liked the idea of having a family elf on the shelf, but Trey did not. His sister teased him a little, asking, What are you afraid of getting caught misbehaving and getting coal in your stocking? Trey defended himself, stating, No, it's just kind of creepy. Santa already watches us. Why do we need an elf spy in the house? After a little convincing about the significance of the tradition of the elf on the shelf, 
Trey agreed, and the family purchased the year's decoration. They took it home, and on December 1st, they placed the elf high in their Christmas tree, just below the star. The family always decorated the house on the day after Thanksgiving, so the annual decoration was always the last to go up. Aaron and Simone were excited and posted pictures of their new acquisition on their social media. Everything looked like it was going to be another wonderful Christmas. Little did the Thompsons know that a holiday nightmare was about to begin. The next morning was a Sunday, so everyone in the Thompson family was home from either school or work. The first one to get out of bed, as always, was Madison. Simone was often awake, but still laying in bed when Madison got up, and that day was no exception. Madison stumbled out of the kitchen, half asleep, to get a glass of water. She reached into the cupboard and retrieved a small plastic tumbler. She filled the tumbler halfway from the drinking water spigot attached to the sink. She turned around and took a drink, and when she did, she saw something that startled her. Madison instinctively jumped back at the shock and slammed into the countertop sink area. Her elbow hit the cupboard, which knocked the tumbler out of her hand. The cup hit the floor and made a loud noise, spilling water all over the floor. Simone heard the commotion and darted out of bed to see what had happened. She ran to the kitchen and found Madison still leaning against the sink. Simone asked, Are you okay? What's wrong? Madison pointed and replied, It moved! Simone turned to see what Madison was pointing at. Over the dining room table, sitting on the chandelier, was the elf on a shelf. The noise had been enough to stir other members of the family. Soon, Aaron and Trey were moseying down the hallway to see what was going on. They reached the kitchen and Aaron asked if everything was okay. Simone, assuming that Aaron was behind the shenanigans, assured him that things were okay. She pointed out that the elf had moved and was thus doing its job. Aaron looked over and was surprised to see the elf on the chandelier, but he assumed that Simone was the orchestrator and played along. Madison attempted to plead a case about the elf moving on its own, whilst Trey stood by confused and a little frightened. Simone looked at Aaron, confused as well, because she had been thinking that he was responsible for the movement. After a few minutes, Simone and Aaron were able to calm Madison down and assured both her and Trey that they had nothing to fear as long as they maintained good behavior. Madison's anxiety relaxed, but Trey still seemed a little uneasy. Taylor finally emerged from his room, rubbing his eyes. He asked the rest of the family, What's going on? Simone and Aaron looked at each other for a brief moment, and then Aaron told Madison and Trey, Why don't you two go wash up and get dressed, and I'll make waffles? With that statement, Trey's demeanor changed to joy, and he ran happily back to his room. Madison followed behind and Aaron watched down the hallway to ensure they were both out of earshot. When he was sure they weren't listening, he turned to Taylor and asked, Did you move the elf? Taylor looked perplexed by the question, so Aaron pointed to the elf sitting on the chandelier. Taylor looked over and was also shocked by the sight. He looked at each of his parents and said, I didn't do that. Aaron looked at Simone and asked, I got the feeling that it wasn't you. Simone shook her head and replied, No, I assumed it was you. Aaron looked back at Taylor, who raised his hands and said, It wasn't me, I swear. Aaron again looked at Simone and then back at Taylor and said, Okay, we get ready for breakfast. Taylor turned and headed back to his room. When he was down the hallway a little, Simone asked Aaron, 
it really wasn't you? To which Aaron replied, I was about to ask you the same thing. He paused and thought for a moment and asked, You don't think Madison did it to scare Troy, do you? Simone considered for a moment and then responded, She's usually not that mean to him, but she did make a joke about being afraid of it when we bought it. Aaron nodded his head in agreement, and the two both looked over at the elf again. The elf seemed to be taunting them as it smirked and looked at them sideways. The couple collectively shivered for an unknown reason and then laughed at each other. Small walked over and took the elf down from its perch and took it back to the other room to place it back in the tree. Aaron opened the refrigerator and retrieved a container of buttermilk to use for the waffles. The next few mornings would start in a similar fashion. The family discovered the elf in a variety of locations throughout the common areas of the house. Every day they would put the elf back on the Christmas tree and the next morning they would find it had moved. They found it on the mantel of the fireplace in the dining room, on the television set in the den, even on top of the refrigerator in the kitchen. Simone and Aaron were beginning to wonder how they were placing it sometimes, if indeed it was one of the younger children who was playing a joke on the family. Simone had her doubts, though, because Trey acted genuinely anxious every morning when they would look for it. The constant denial of who was behind it all was beginning to wear thin on Aaron, and he was on the verge of spilling the truth about all things Christmas to find out the truth about who was moving the elf. One morning, Aaron had to get up early for an important meeting at work. He walked out to the kitchen to brew a cup of coffee to go, and he looked into the living room and noticed that the elf was again missing from the tree. In his haste, he scanned the living room and adjoining rooms, but did not see the elf. He walked into the kitchen and took a K-cup from the pantry and installed it in the coffee maker. He then walked over to the cupboard to get a coffee mug out. When he opened the cupboard door, the elf fell out of the cupboard. Aaron shouted out from the surprise and jumped back a few steps while he juggled the elf, eventually swatting it onto the countertop. The commotion alerted the rest of the family and they all rushed to see what was happening. Aaron's anger was quickly curbed by the laughter of his wife and children after discovering that their patriarch had been scared by a stuffed elf doll. Aaron himself even burst into laughter at the realization of the ridiculousness of the situation. Aaron picked up the elf and jokingly asked it if it was trying to give him a heart attack. The kids laughed again as Aaron looked at Simone. She could tell he was irritated. She told the kids to go get ready for school and as they all went down the hallway, she asked Aaron if he was okay. Yeah, he began. I'm just beginning to think that the elf on the shelf may not have been a best idea. Simone and Aaron had resigned to thinking that the children were the ones behind the elf's movement. They believed they were doing it either to scare each other individually or mess around with their parents collectively. Simone tried to assure Aaron that the novelty of the tradition would wear off soon and the children would stop, but she never really considered that it may not be the children at all. The season continued and Christmas Day was approaching. The Thompsons, like most families, put off their holiday gift shopping until the last minute. They felt that it was part of the whole experience of Christmas. One weekend, they were out as a group, picking up some fresh things for friends, co-workers, and classmates. When they returned home, they found something that they were not expecting. 
They entered the house to the garage, and upon reaching the living room, they found that the Christmas tree had been knocked over. Bulbs, tinsel, and other ornaments were strewn about the floor. The family took turns, noticing the mess and freezing from the shock. The whole scene was reminiscent of videos you see on the internet of cats destroying Christmas trees. But the Thompsons didn't have any cats. Simone told the children to put the things they were carrying down on the dining room table, and then to finish getting the rest of the gifts they had purchased out of the car. Aaron and Simone. While the kids obliged, Aaron and Simone searched the house for intruders. When they found no one, they began the daunting task of cleaning up the mess from the tree while trying to figure out exactly how it had fallen. They carefully stood the tree back up and began picking up the ornaments that had fallen off and placing them back on the tree. It wasn't until they were almost completely done cleaning up that they realized something was missing. The elf on a shelf. They began looking around for the elf but couldn't find it anywhere in the living room or the adjoining dining room. The children came back into the house from the garage and instead of heading toward the kitchen, they headed toward their rooms to store the gifts they had purchased. As Trey walked by the den on the way across the foyer, he shouted out and dropped his bags. Simone and Aaron came running to see what had happened. Simone squatted down in front of Trey and asked him if he was okay and what was wrong. She noticed he seemed frightened. Taylor and Madison had put their things in their rooms and had now also come out to see what was going on. Trey pointed toward the den and the family collectively gasped when they saw what had startled him. In the den, there was a bistro table with a decorative vase that always sat on it. Sitting on that table, peeking around the vase toward the living room, was the elf on a shelf. Aaron asked the children to own up to it if any of them had moved the elf before they left to go shopping. The children, especially Trey, adamantly insisted that they had not done it. Simone commented to Aaron that she was almost certain she had seen the elf sitting in the tree that morning as they were bustling about, getting ready to leave the house. Aaron told the children to help Trey gather his bags for them all to finish putting things in their rooms. After the kids had walked away, Aaron conceded to Simone that she was probably right about the elf being in the tree when they left. They both looked back at the living room, which still needed some cleaning up, and speculated as to how the tree had fallen. Neither could come up with a reasonable explanation. Then an uneasy feeling came over both of them. A parentally instinctive feeling. The feeling that parents get when they realize that one of their children is snug into the room and is listening to their conversation. The only problem was they could both hear all three of the kids rustling about in their bedrooms as they had all attempted to wrap their gifts that they had just purchased. Simultaneously, Simone and Aaron looked back toward the den. The elf was still peeking around the vase, only now it seemed like he was watching them and listening. Aaron walked over and picked it up. He held it and stared at it for a moment. The elf was looking off to the side as they do, but now Aaron felt like he was trying to avoid eye contact with him. Aaron looked at Simone and she said, don't even say what you might be thinking right now. Aaron chuckled and looked back down at the elf. Then he walked back over to the living room and placed the elf back into the tree. Simone followed him and the two finished cleaning up. That evening, Simone and Aaron were getting ready to attend Aaron's company Christmas party. The party was being hosted at the Greenhaven Country Club, 
so it was to be a final event. As Simone was finishing her makeup, the doorbell rang and Aaron scurried to answer it as he struggled with his tie. Emma, the family babysitter, had arrived. Emma was the daughter of one of Aaron's co-workers. She was an excellent student and athlete and attended Greenhaven High School. The Thompsons had come to trust Emma and she had been babysitting for them for quite some time. Aaron opened the front door and there Emma stood waiting. He greeted her and urged her to come in. As soon as Trey and Madison heard Emma's voice, they came running excitedly to greet her as well. Taylor had a bit of a crush on Emma, so he tried to play it cool and casually walked out of his room. He walked toward the kitchen and stopped to say, Oh, hey, Emma, as if he didn't know she were coming. Emma replied with the teasing, Hi, Taylor. And she and Aaron shared a giggle when Taylor strutted into the kitchen. Aaron offered Emma something to drink, but she declined as the two also walked toward the kitchen. Aaron told her that he had ordered pizza to be delivered for dinner and that she already knew the routine for bedtime. Emma acknowledged that she did and Simone arrived in the kitchen. Emma commented on how beautiful Simone looked and Simone humbly thanked her. Simone walked over to Aaron and began to fix his tie and she asked Emma how things were going. Emma replied that School was going very well and said that she had begun studying for her college entrance exams. She also mentioned that her school's winter formal dance was coming and she was excited to attend. As she spoke, she looked over at the Christmas tree and noticed the elf on a shelf. It made her smile. Simone commended Emma for all her accomplishments as she finished adjusting Aaron's tie. Aaron then summoned the children to the kitchen to let them know that he and Simone were leaving for the party. He gave them the usual speech about behaving and minding Emma's instructions. The children collectively sighed and rolled their eyes while Emma winked at them. The couple gathered their coats, keys, and purses and headed out to the garage. Once the garage door had closed and the car pulled away, the children began to jump around and shout with excitement. Trey began asking Emma, Did you bring it? Did you bring it? Did you? Emma tried to calm Trey down just to notch and replied, Of course, you crazy head. She giggled and walked over to her purse, which she had set on the dining room table. She opened one of the pockets, reached in, and pulled out a video game disc. Trey jumped up and down excited again as Emma handed him the box. He snatched it from her and embraced her around her waist, giving her a big hug and declaring, Thank you, Emma. He let go and ran toward the living room television and turned it on. Emma told him, don't forget to give that back to me before bed. You don't want your parents to know I brought that over. Taylor was standing aside the whole time, looking anxious. Emma turned to him and asked if he was okay. He replied, I just want to say thank you too. Then he nervously moved in and wrapped his arms around Emma's entire upper body, trapping her arms as well. He gave one quick tight squeeze and then released, and also ran for the living room. Emma giggled to herself at the awkwardness and then turned around to see Madison, who she knew was waiting patiently. Madison was also standing there looking anxious. Emma asked her, you want to get started, don't you? Madison eagerly nodded her head yes. Emma told her, okay, go get it. Madison turned and ran to her bedroom. Because Madison was so young, her parents only allowed her to play with little kid makeup, feeling bad for her. Emma had secretly gifted Madison a grown-up makeup kit, a small travel set that could easily be hidden. Madison opened her closet 
and retrieved the kid from its hiding place and hurried back to the kitchen. When she got back, her brothers were already engrossed by the video game and Emma was sitting at the dining room table texting someone while she waited. The rest of the evening went as usual. The boys played the video game together and Emma did Madison's makeup. And then the two did their usual fashion show for the mirror in the den while Emma took pictures with her phone. When the pizza arrived, Emma made the boys pause the game and she put on a movie for them all to watch while they ate. Madison and Trey were asleep on the couch well before the closing credits began to roll. So when they did, Emma woke them and told them to go brush their teeth. She used makeup remover wipes to clean up Madison and then she tucked both of them into bed. When she returned to the living room, Taylor was once again playing the video game. As she walked by on the way to her purse, she told them that he could finish the level he was on, but they had to go to bed afterward. She took her phone out of her purse to check her messages. When she was finished, she put her phone back in her purse and began cleaning up the mess from the kitchen. As she washed the plates they'd used, the ring that her boyfriend had given her slipped off her finger. When he realized he had purchased one that was too big, he had offered to resize it, but Emma had insisted it was fine the way it was. She tried to catch it before it went into the drain, but the running water pushed it and she wasn't quick enough. The ring fell between the plastic flaps that led to the garbage disposal. Emma turned off the water and cursed herself for not taking the ring off before washing the dishes. She stared for a moment at the drain and stuck her hand into it. Her hands were small, so she was able to get her hand in and feel around with her fingertips. She located the ring, but struggled to get a grip on it. As she worked, Taylor shouted out with excitement about an accomplishment on the video game, and Emma was reminded that she was babysitting. She took her hand out of the drain and turned around to see that Taylor had started a new campaign. She reminded him that he was supposed to be going to bed, not starting a new game. Taylor tried to convince Emma to let him stay up. He said he could turn off the game and they could watch another movie together. Emma recognized Taylor's adorable attempt at flirting and decided to use it against him. She told him that if he stayed up, he may see a side of her that he wasn't used to. He asked her what she meant and she told him that she missed her boyfriend and that she liked to make out with him before she went to sleep every night. She sat next to Taylor on the couch and told him that since her boyfriend wasn't there, that she probably wouldn't get to see him because she was babysitting. She wasn't going to get to make out with him that night. She leaned into Taylor teasingly and told him that if he stayed up, he might have to take her boyfriend's place and make out with her instead. Taylor's eyes opened wide and he began to sweat. He stood up and declared that he was tired and going to bed, and then he scurried off, stumbling as he rounded the corner into the hallway to his bedroom. Emma laughed as she watched Taylor nervously run off. She stood up and walked over to the television. She pushed the eject button on the video game console and took her video game disc out and placed it back into its case. As she turned to walk over to put it back in her purse, she noticed something out of the corner of her eye. She looked over at the Christmas tree and realized that there was no elf on the shelf in it. She looked around on the floor for a moment confused, but there was no elf anywhere to be seen. She thought to herself that she could swear that she had seen one sitting in the tree earlier. In fact, thinking back on it, when she noticed it earlier, it was almost as if it were looking right at her. The thought creeped her out. She looked around behind the tree but still found nothing. She put her hands on her hips and gave the whole area one last confused look before shaking her head and continuing over to the dining room table. 
She placed the video game case into her purse and retrieved her phone to check her messages. There was a message from her boyfriend which reminded her that she still needed to retrieve her ring from the garbage disposal. She messaged her boyfriend that she would get back to him when she got home from babysitting and put her phone back into her purse. Then she walked over to the kitchen sink and looked down at the plastic flaps of the garbage disposal. She opened the cabinet under the sink and squatted down to see if there was a way to get the ring out from underneath. She quickly realized, however, that there were no openings and knowing nothing about garbage disposals, she would never be able to take it off and put it back. She noticed that the disposal was plugged into an electrical outlet under the sink and she wisely reached back and unplugged it. She stood back up and closed the cabinet and then stared back down at the flaps. After a moment's contemplation, she reached down and grabbed the flaps and pulled out the splash guard. Emma looked down into the opening of the drain hole and she could see a sparkle from the ring stone. The fact that she could actually see it excited her and she stuck her hand down into the drain hole again in an attempt to retrieve it. Without the splash guard in place, her hand fit a little better into the drain hole and she had a little more dexterity in her fingers to work with. She fumbled around and could feel the ring but couldn't quite reach it. She wiggled her finger around a bit more and just as she gripped the ring between her index and middle finger, the garbage disposal turned on with a loud, violent whir. Emma screamed and jumped back, yanking her hand from the open drain. Her back hit the countertop of the Butcher Block Island and she winced from the pain. The garbage disposal continued to whine loudly. As the initial shock wore off, Emma finally remembered to look down at her hand and realized that she was fine. But the ring her boyfriend gave her dangled loosely from her index fingertip. She closed her fist, grasping the ring tightly, and was startled again when she heard Madison's voice from behind her yell over the noise to ask if she was okay. Emma spun around and realized it was Madison. Then she embarrassedly turned back around and lunged over to the switch off the garbage disposal. She thought to herself that she didn't recall turning the switch on, but still stunned from the incident, she completely forgot that she had unplugged it underneath the sink. She told Madison, yeah, and I, I dropped my ring in the disposal and scared myself getting it out. You can go back to bed. Everything is okay. Madison reluctantly obliged and returned to her bedroom. Emma was beginning to feel silly about the whole incident when she remembered that she had unplugged the garbage disposal. She reached for the door of the cabinet under the sink, but an uneasy feeling came over her and she hesitated. She shook it off and opened the cabinet door. When she bent down to look at the electrical outlet, the elf on a shelf was staring back at her from under the sink. Emma jumped back and before she had time to scream again, she stepped backward and slipped on the video game case that somehow managed to be on the floor behind her. The unexpected slip took Emma's foot out from underneath her and she lost her balance. She fell backward, flailing her arms to try to catch herself, but it was in vain. As she fell, the back of her head struck the corner of the butcher block hard, and as she hit the floor, her right elbow hit first and a sickening cracking noise rang through the house's vaulted ceilings. Emma laid on the floor, motionless, as a small pool of blood began to trickle from underneath her head.
The Thompsons made it a point to visit Emma at the hospital as often as they could. She had suffered a severe concussion when her head hit the butcher block that night. Hemorrhaging had caused pressure to build up and the doctors were forced to place her in a medically induced coma while they treated her. She required several stitches to close the wound on her head and also required surgery to repair her shattered elbow. The doctors were very optimistic about her condition and were confident that she would eventually pull through and recover, though physical therapy would most likely be needed. Emma's parents weren't holding Simone and Aaron accountable, although no one really understood what happened. Madison had gotten back out of bed after worrying about Emma and was the one who found her on the floor that night. She was scared, but brave enough to call her mother to tell her what she had found. Simone and Aaron immediately left the party, and Simone called 911 from the car on her way home. The fire truck and ambulance arrived at the house before Simone and Aaron, and police arrived shortly after them. They rushed inside, and Simone attended to the children while Aaron spoke with the paramedics and police about what may have happened. Madison continued to be brave and gave her account of what happened to the police officers. After Emma was stabilized and loaded into the ambulance, the police officers informed Simone and Aaron that they were ruling the event an unfortunate accident. They informed the Thompsons which hospital Emma was being transported to, and they had gone to see her almost every day. Christmas Eve was approaching quickly, and the Thompsons felt bad that Emma would most likely be spending the rest of the holiday season in the hospital. The winter formal dance that she had mentioned had passed, Emma's parents were always at the hospital, and many of her friends from school would come by to visit her as well. Her boyfriend, Jordan, was angry with the Thompsons and had lashed out at them once when the visitations had overlapped. Emma's parents were able to restrain him and calm him down before anything serious happened. The Thompson house was also still feeling the aftereffects of the event as well. Uh, negative energy and uneasy feelings were putting a damper on the Thompsons' holiday glee. Simone was doing her best to keep the children festive, but Madison was especially losing her holiday spirit. The family had another holiday tradition that they participated in. There was a local club for old model electric trains. The club ran a museum that actually had a working, rideable model train that circumvented the museum grounds. Every Christmas, the club would decorate the train and grounds with a spectacular display of lights and music. They called it the Christmas Express. The Thompsons first started going to ride the Christmas Express when Taylor was first old enough to climb on and sit in front of the Simone by himself. At the end of the train's course sat a small constructed cottage where Santa and Mrs. Claus waited to meet all the children who got off of the train. It was where they took the children every year to get their picture with Santa. Simone and Aaron were hopeful that keeping traditions going would restore some of the children's lost faith in the holidays, so they planned to attend on the night before Christmas Eve. The Thompsons usually liked to get there early, but this time they ran late due to the children's lack of enthusiasm. This annoyed Aaron, and as he knew they would not get a good spot in line and have a long wait ahead of them. They tried to enjoy themselves nonetheless, and they talked about various things and enjoyed the lights while they waited to board the model train. The family finally got their turn to board the train, and the children's lack of enthusiasm was momentarily reversed when Trey realized that they were going to get to sit at the front of the train, 
he would be able to ride at the very front. They all lined up and straddled the little train cars and were off. The train club had gone all out with the lights and music, as they always did. The twinkle of the lights was beginning to bring back the sparkle in the children's eyes. At the end of the ride, the family deboarded and headed for Santa's cottage. Much to Aaron's joy, there was no line to meet Santa, and the club was very good at working all the previous train's passengers through Santa's cottage while the train made its next journey. As the Thompsons walked down the path toward the cottage, Simone smiled at Aaron when the children got excited and ran ahead of them. When they reached the cottage, there were two teenagers dressed as elves who greeted them and escorted them inside. Inside, there were two high-backed chairs that looked like they came from a high school production of Henry V. In between those chairs was a small Christmas tree, and sitting on the chairs were Santa and Mrs. Claus. Santa greeted the children with a vibrant ho-ho-ho as the elves ushered the children over to the closets. Taylor attempted to resist at first, stating that he was too old to sit on Santa's lap, but Mrs. Claus was clever to point out that he didn't have to. He could stand next to them while his younger siblings took their turns after a little coercion and, uh, get your butt over there from Aaron. Taylor finally surrendered and stood at Santa's side. The chairs were collectively constructed so that the children could sit on the armrests and dangle their legs across Santa as opposed to sitting directly on his lap. This allowed for multiple children or the occasional adult to sit on the lap without hurting him. Madison and Trey posted up on each side armrest, and Santa inquired as to what each of them was hoping to find underneath the Christmas tree. Trey told them he wanted a video game, and then whispered the title in Santa's ear. Madison requested some very specific art supplies, and Santa told her that he was more familiar with toys. Then he asked her to tell him a little about the art she was going to do with the supplies and how they worked. As Madison began happily explaining to Santa and Mrs. Claus about her art interest, Trey's mind wandered and he began to look around the room at various lights and decoration. He looked at his parents and smiled big and they smiled back, realizing this was one of the first smiles they'd gotten out of him since the incident with Emma. He began to look around again and suddenly his smile was replaced by a look of sheer terror. He began to scream and cry and wriggle in a hurried attempt to get down off of Santa's lap. Santa and Mrs. Claus looked up at Simone and Aaron with wide eyes. The two teenage elves began to panic as they had no idea what was happening. Simone attempted to rush over and comfort Trey, but he hopped from Santa's lap and fell to the floor. Santa attempted to catch him, but it was like trying to keep hold of a cat that didn't want to be held. When Trey hit the floor, he immediately got to his feet and ran out the door of the cottage. Aaron ran after him, leaving everyone else in the room stunned and still confused. Madison was sitting on Santa's lap as Simone apologized to everyone. Santa and Mrs. Claus assured her that all was fine, stating that from time to time, a child gets scared and it happens. One of the elves asked Simone if Trey was going to be okay and what was wrong. Simone wasn't sure what to say at first. She asked Madison if she was okay and Madison replied yes. Taylor was still standing next to Santa with a look on his face that said, he either wanted to burst out laughing or run from the embarrassment. Simone then began to look around the room to see if she could identify what had upset Trey so much. 
That was when she noticed it for the first time. Across the room from Santa, next to Mrs. Claus, was an artificial fireplace. On the mantle of that fireplace sat an elf on the shelf. Simone let out a sigh as she stood up and picked up Madison from Santa's lap. She apologized to the whole North Pole crew one more time and waited for Taylor to come with her. The three exited the cottage to find the rest of the families from their train ride standing in line outside for their turns. They all stared at Simone and the children with perplexed looks as they had heard screaming and witnessed Trey running off and Aaron chasing after him. Simone looked around but didn't see her husband or son, so she decided to ask the line of nosy people. Can you tell me which way they went, please? A little girl, who was in line with her parents, pointed toward the main museum building and parking area. Simone told the little girl, Thank you, sweetie. And she set Madison down on the ground. She then told Madison and Taylor, Let's go find your father and brother. And the three began to walk toward the parking lot. A few miles away at the Thompson house, a visitor who did not know they weren't home stopped by. Emma's boyfriend, Jordan, had been hanging out with some friends and had a few alcoholic seltzers to drink. He had been venting to his friends about Emma's condition and they had made the mistake of joking with him about it. He still blamed the Thompsons and when one of his friends played Crawford in a coma by the Smiths on his streaming app, Jordan stormed out, stating that he was going to talk to them. Jordan's rideshare car pulled up in front of the Thompson's house, and he got out of the back seat and began up the walkway to the front door. The rideshare driver put his window down and asked, Hey kid, you sure you're going to be okay? Jordan shouted back to the driver, Yeah man, I'm fine, thanks. And then took a drink from the can of seltzer he was carrying and stumbled over one of the stepping stones in the front yard. The rideshare driver laughed to himself and shook his head. Then he put his window back up and drove away. After regaining his balance, Jordan downed the rest of the seltzer and tossed the can aside in one of the bushes. Then he walked up to the front door and rang the doorbell. He could hear the chime inside the house, but no one answered, of course. He rang the doorbell again with the same results. A few miles away, the notification from the doorbell camera was chiming on both Aaron and Simone's phones, but they were in the middle of riding the train and had their phones silent. The doorbell camera recorded as Jordan began to pound on the door with an open hand and call out for the Thompsons. Jordan tried the door, but it was locked, of course, so then he began trying to look into the windows. After checking all the windows on the front side of the house and even knocking on a few, Jordan remembered gate on the side of the garage led to the back door was always unlocked. He had visited Emma several times while she was babysitting at the Thompsons and she had made him aware of it. He began to head to the gate but tripped and fell into an inflatable snowman that waved next to the garage. He fought for a few moments to untangle himself from the fabric and once he got back to his feet he looked around to see if anyone had seen. It was a quiet high-end neighborhood though so there was rarely any activity outside after dark. He walked around the side of the garage and down the narrow walkway to the gate. He checked the gate and as he expected, it was not locked. So he opened it and let himself into the backyard. When he got around the backyard, he had a much better view inside the house as all the big kitchen, dining room, and living room windows didn't have blinds or shades. 
He peered into each of them and could see that there was no activity in any of the main rooms of the house or the front foyer. He looked toward the back door and saw that there was a security camera above it and had a light flashing. He waved at the camera and called out, Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Thompson. He waved both hands back and forth and crisscrossed in an attempt to get the attention of anyone who may be watching on the camera, but again, no response. He grabbed the knob on the back door and tried it, but it was locked. He turned around and began to look around the backyard. The back patio had a large table and a barbecue grill on it. A small pop-up canopy stood over the grill. There was a swimming pool with a small grassy area next to it. The back end of the yard had a wrought iron fence, and beyond that was a man-made lake that wound through the neighborhood. Many of the homes whose backyards lined the lake had gates that led to docks with small boats for recreation. The Thompsons had a paddle boat, and they sometimes took the kids out on. Jordan thought to himself that in all the times he had used the side gate to sneak into the backyard and meet Emma, he had never actually looked around the backyard. Suddenly, Jordan heard a noise inside the house that sounded like something had fallen to the floor. He quickly turned around and looked through the windows again, but saw nothing he hadn't already. He waited for a moment to see if there was movement in the house again, but saw nothing. He heard another noise and decided to check if he could see into the rest of the windows on the side of the house. He also checked the windows that were on the side of the house that did not have a gate. Those windows all led to the children's bedrooms, however, and had blinds and the curtains were closed. When Jordan was checking the final window, he heard yet another noise. This one sounded like the back door had been opened and someone came out. Jordan ducked down creeped slowly back toward the back of the house and peeked around the corner to see if anyone was on the patio, but no one was. He stood up straight and called out, Mr. Thompson? Mrs. Thompson? But did not receive an answer. He walked back over to the patio and peered through the living room window and the kitchen windows again, but still saw nothing. He looked around the backyard again to make sure he didn't miss someone who had come outside, but he was still alone. Jordan reached for the doorknob on the back door to see if it was unlocked. The knob turned and the door opened. Jordan didn't even get the door open a few inches though before he heard another noise. The noise sounded like something banging against the barbecue grill. Jordan let go of the doorknob and slowly walked over to the grill. He called out again saying, hello, even though he couldn't see anyone. He timidly walked around the patio table toward the grill and called out again saying, Kitty, kitty? But still nothing. He finally reached the grill and began to look around it. He circled the grill, inspecting it, but found nothing that he thought could have made the noise. Suddenly, Jordan felt a pain unlike any he'd ever felt before, as something struck the back of his right ankle with such force that his leg went limp beneath him and he fell to the ground. Jordan grabbed for his ankle in agony and looked around for what could have hit him, but again saw nothing. He sat for a moment, writhing in pain before he tried to stand back up. Unfortunately, he could not stand. The pain in his ankle was far too intense, and his right leg had no strength. He stumbled, and as he attempted to catch his balance, he tripped over one of the cables that tethered the barbecue canopy to the ground. He stumbled again, 
and as he attempted to stomp down with his right foot to stabilize himself, he screamed in pain as he fell over into the swimming pool. Luckily, he fell into the shallow end of the swimming pool, and he was able to stand on his one good foot once he got his wits about him. His head broke the surface of the water. He spit out the water that was in his mouth. He looked around and called out again and made his way to the edge of the pool. As he attempted to figure out what had happened, something struck him in the temple with the same force as his ankle, and everything went black. Christmas Eve morning arrived, and the Thompson children were enjoying winter break from school. It had taken several conversations and reinsurances, but Trey seemed to be feeling better since the incident at the Christmas Express. Simone and Aaron were both home from work as their companies closed down for a week for the holidays. That morning, the entire family was trying to sleep in and get some rest, but they were awakened by the chime of the doorbell. Aaron checked the doorbell app on his phone and saw that it was men in suits who had rung the doorbell. He used the app to alert them that he was aware of their presence and that he would be there to answer the door shortly. He told Simone and climbed out of bed. He put on his robes and slippers and walked to the front door. He opened the door and asked, Can I help you? The two men held up badge wallets and one began speaking, saying, We're sorry to disturb you so early. I'm Detective Cook. This is my partner, Detective Kim. Mr. Thompson, I presume? Aaron confirmed that it was indeed his last name, and the detective continued asking, Do you recognize the young man in this photograph? The detective held up a printed picture of Emma's boyfriend, Jordan. Aaron confirmed that he did, and then he asked why the detective was asking. Detective Kim spoke this time, stating, The young man's body was recovered from the lake behind your house early this morning when one of your neighbors discovered it walking the dog. Aaron's eyes opened wide from the shock as Simone walked up behind him, hearing what the detective had said. She put her hand on Aaron's arm, and he jumped as she startled him. He turned back to the detectives and said, Oh my God, are you serious? Detective Cook replied, Yes, sir. We've been questioning the neighborhood, and some of your neighbors say they'd seen the young man here. May I ask how you know him? Aaron told him, He's our babysitter's boyfriend. The detective asked another question. Are you referring to Emma Wagner, the young woman currently in a coma at the Greenhaven Hospital? Aaron nodded and replied, Yes, that's her. The detective continued, stating, Mr. Thompson, your home seems to be the only one in this neighborhood that the young man appears to have any affiliation with. Simone decided to speak up with the statement, saying, We met him at the hospital recently. We didn't know he had been here before. Who told you that? Detective Kim responded, We aren't at liberty to say that, ma'am. He looked at the doorbell camera and continued. Could we possibly come in and continue this conversation? Were you folks home last night? Aaron looked at Simone, who was quick to respond by asking, Are we being accused of something? The detective hesitated and began to reply, but Simone interrupted him again. Do you have a warrant? Detective Cook looked at his partner and then back at Aaron and Simone. Before he could speak, Simone continued saying, 
We were at the Christmas Express last night until about nine. If you don't believe me, you can ask Mr. and Mrs. Claus because we had a little incident while we were there. The two detectives looked at each other again and Detective Kirk replied, thank you for your time, Mr. and Mrs. Thompson. He reached out and handed Aaron his business card then continued by saying, if we need anything further, we'll be in touch. With that, the two detectives turned and walked to their car, got in, and drove off. Aaron closed the front door and he and Simone looked at each other confused for Their confused silence was broken when they heard Madison's voice ask, Mom? Dad? What's going on? Simone walked up to Madison and knelt down in front of her. She told her that everything was okay and she can go back to bed if she was still sleepy. Madison replied that she was not and Simone told her that she could go clean up and get dressed if she preferred and she would get started on breakfast. Madison nodded her head in agreement and went back to her room. Simone stood back up and Aaron walked over to her. She asked him what his thoughts were on what they had just been told and Aaron replied, I don't know what to think, but something is telling me that we should probably watch the security footage from last night. Simone hated to admit it, but she agreed with him. She told him that she was going to check on the children while he pulled up the footage on his laptop in their bedroom. Aaron agreed, and the two momentarily parted ways. A few minutes later, the couple reconvened in their bedroom. Aaron was sitting on the bed and had his laptop open. He had the doorbell app open and had pulled up the security footage. He had just begun watching it, beginning at the time they had left the house for Christmas Express when Simone entered the room and sat next to him on the bed. They watched absolutely nothing for a few minutes before Aaron decided to skip through the footage. Simone asked him what he was looking for and he replied that he wasn't quite sure. But as he did so, Jordan appeared on the footage that was sped up. Aaron stopped the footage and then played it in real time. The couple were a little shocked to see that Jordan had indeed been at their house that evening before when they were at the Christmas Express. They watched the footage as Jordan tried the front door and looked in the front windows. They watched as Jordan tripped over and wrestled their inflatable snowman. They continued to watch in astonishment as they saw Jordan appear on the footage in the backyard, looking into the back window. They watched Jordan as he looked around the yard and then turned around quickly to look back into the house. Simone and Aaron found this very curious and watched more intently. They watched as Jordan disappeared from view for a few moments and then returned to view. They watched as he looked around in the windows again and as he tried the back door. They watched as his attention was once again diverted and he looked over toward the grill. They watched as he walked over toward the grill, looked around, and then fell to the ground. They watched confused as he struggled to regain his feet and tripped over the cable and fell into the pool. Then they watched as they could only see splashing going on in the pool. The table on the patio was obstructing their view of where Jordan was in the pool. They watched as the churning water came to a halt, and then they watched as something they couldn't explain took place on the footage. Jordan appeared to somehow slither, for lack of a better word, out of the pool. The view was still obstructed as they watched what appeared to be Jordan being dragged across the ground and through the back gate from the back door camera 
But Simone and Aaron saw one last thing before the footage ceased, all activity again. They saw a splash of water as Jordan's body apparently fell into the lake. Simone and Aaron continued to watch as nothing else happened on the footage for a few moments. They looked at each other and Aaron asked Simone, do you know what we just watched? Because I don't. As he was finished, another unexpected action took place on the footage. They watched as the back door opened slightly and then closed. After that, nothing seemed to happen on the footage. Aaron rewound the footage and they watched the door open and close again, but couldn't determine how it had happened. He rewound the footage further to the point where Jordan first entered the backyard. The couple paid closer attention this time and Simone noticed something they hadn't the first time. On the video, when Jordan went out of view because he appeared to go around the side of the house, was the first time the back door seemingly opened and closed on its own. They continued watching in an attempt to discover more they hadn't noticed before, but the outside light had not been on and the lights coming from the inside of the house made it difficult to see details, as if created a lot of shadows on the video. Then finally, Aaron noticed something else. He asked Simone, did you see that? She shook her head indicating that she hadn't, so Aaron rewound the footage again. They watched again and right after Jordan tripped over the tether cable and fell into the pool, something small could be seen moving very quickly behind the grill toward the pool. They watched it over and over again, but neither could make out what the movement was on the video. It just looked like a shadow. The couple sat perplexed for a few moments. They agreed that even though they weren't sure what exactly happened after watching the security footage, that they had to take the footage to the police, if for no other reason than clearing their names of suspicion. Aaron decided that he would go out to the backyard and look around and Simone said she would check on the children. Aaron made his way to the back door, and Simone down the hall to the children's rooms. Aaron stepped outside and began to look around. No one, except apparently Jordan, had been in the backyard since they left the house the evening before, so Aaron felt he might find some clue as to what happened. The first thing Aaron checked was the back gate that led to the lake. The family admittedly never locked the gate because they had taught the children the dangers of going near it and the children were good at obeying. But the gate and the back door both seemed to open themselves somehow and he just couldn't understand how. He inspected the gate and everything seemed to be normal. The gate was closed and latched but not locked. He went out and checked the dock and the paddle boat but everything seemed normal there too. The next thing that Aaron checked was the swimming pool. He kneeled down next to the area where Jordan had fallen in and looked down into the bottom of the pool, trying to see if he could see anything. After looking around for a few moments, he didn't see anything out of the ordinary and decided to move on to the grill. He began looking around on the ground where Jordan had tripped over the canopy to the cable to see if he could discover what had made Jordan fall to the ground. At first, he didn't see anything, but after a moment's contemplation, he realized that he didn't know what he was looking for. And that was when he saw something strange. As Aaron walked around the back of the grill, he noticed something stuck to one of the screws that fastened the propane tank platform to the grill's legs. 
Aaron bent down to get a closer look and noticed that it looked like fabric fibers. He grabbed it with his thumb and index finger and stood up again and held it up to examine it more closely. Sure enough, there was a tuft of white polyester-like strands like the ones used to simulate hair or fur on a stuffed animal. Aaron looked back down at the screw he had removed it from and noted that there were still strands stuck to it. The back door opened and Simone came out to check on Aaron. She asked him if he found anything. Aaron replied to her, not sure. As he did, he held up the fibers to show her. She looked at them curiously and then he pointed to the screw on the grill and told her, this was stuck to that screw. But it's not like the wind blew it into this yard and stuck there. It was really wedged like the screw was what tore it off or whatever it came from. Simone looked up at Aaron and told him that she had checked the front yard and found a seltzer can in the bushes. She told him she left it there and didn't touch it in case it was Jordan's. Then a look of confusion came over her face as she noticed something. Aaron saw that she had spotted something above and behind him, so he turned to see what she was looking at. Sitting atop the canopy was the elf on a shelf. The elf was sitting with its eyes facing the house, so its back was curling to them. Simone and Aaron looked at each other, and then Aaron reached up and grabbed the elf. He turned it around and looked at it and realized that the elf once had a fuzzy white ball on the end of its little red hat. Aaron could not remember for the life of him if it had one or not. Held the tuft of fibers to the hat to see if they were possibly from the missing fuzzball. Simone interrupted him saying, I don't think that's very likely. Aaron responded, Neither is the elf being out here, but here it is. Simone asked him, You think this is our elf? Maybe Jordan put it there. To which Aaron replied, Leaving an elf on a shelf in someone's backyard would have to be the weirdest teenage prank I've ever heard of. But, I guess we should go see if our elf is in the tree where it's supposed to be. The couple walked back into the house, and Aaron walked over and set the tuft of fibers on the butcher block countertop in the kitchen. Then he walked over to the living room and stopped in his tracks before reaching the tree. Simone walked up and realized why he looked so stunned. Their elf was not in the tree. To be certain, the couple began looking around on the floor near the tree and in the living room. They found nothing, and both came to the unlikely realization that the elf they had found outside had to be theirs. As the couple stared at each other for a moment, both unsure of what to say, they were interrupted again by Madison's voice, this time asking, What are you looking for? Simone and Aaron looked over at Madison, who now had Trey with her. The two children stared at their parents for a moment before Aaron thought of something to say. He told them, We were just cleaning up around the tree to make sure it's nice for Santa tonight. Trey then asked, Why are you holding the elf? Aaron looked down at his hands. He was clutching the elf in front of him with both hands like he was holding a tiny bird. Simone now intervened saying, I bumped the tree and knocked the elf down so daddy was just putting it back. Aaron and Simone looked at each other and then back at the children. The children seemed skeptical but satisfied with the answers they'd gotten so Madison moved on asking, Did you start breakfast? Simone apologized and said she would get right on it. The children followed her to the kitchen and sat on the dining room table. Aaron looked down again at the elf in his hands, and then placed it back into the Christmas tree.
way home from the hospital, Simone and Aaron had the children put on headphones and watch cartoons on the backseat monitors so they could discuss what they had learned from both the detectives and from Emma. Emma truly believed that the elf on the shelf that the family had purchased a few weeks before was responsible for attacking both her and Jordan. The Thompsons couldn't deny that all the strange happenings in their home began right around the time they brought the elf home. Aaron looked in the rearview mirror as he drove to make sure the children were not listening and then said to Simone, It may sound crazy, but I think we should get rid of the elf. It was late in the afternoon when the family arrived home and it was already beginning to get dark outside. When they entered the house, the children ran to their bedrooms to put on their holiday pajamas and Simone and Aaron went to the living room to check if the elf on a shelf was still sitting in the Christmas tree. Unfortunately, they were not very surprised when they found that it was not. The couple split up and began looking for the elf. Aaron checked in, around, and under all the living room furniture while Simone checked all the cabinets and drawers in the kitchen. Simone moved on to check the den and foyer while Aaron looked on the back patio. They met back up in the house and were getting ready to go to the children's bedrooms when they heard Trey behind them asking, What are you looking for? Taylor and Madison emerged from their rooms and Aaron asked the children, Did any of you take the elf on a shelf? The children all became visibly anxious, so Simone changed the subject, saying, Why don't you all come wash your hands and we'll finish frosting the sugar cookies? As Simone ushered the children to the kitchen, she motioned with her head for Aaron to check the children's rooms. Aaron rushed down the hallway to the children's rooms. Taylor's was at the far end of the hallway, so he started there. Taylor was a bit of a clean freak for an 11-year-old, so his room was easy to get through. Aaron checked the closet, under the bed, and in the drawers of his dresser. He did not find the elf. He repeated the search in the other children's rooms, though it was a little more difficult as they were messier than Taylor. Again, he found nothing. Before he went back out to the kitchen, he checked the bathroom that was in the children's hallway. He looked in the bathtub and under the sink, but there was still no sign of the elf. He walked out to the kitchen and the children were searching for an airtight container to put the sugar cookies in. He looked over to the living room. Simone was setting a plate of chocolate chip cookies on the end table that sat between the Christmas tree and the couch. She looked up at him and he shook his head, indicating that he hadn't found the elf. When he turned and walked down the short hallway that led to the master bedroom and repeated the process he had followed in the children's rooms. He checked every place he could think of before going into the adjoining master bathroom to check. As he stepped into the bathroom, he slowly scanned the room. Just inside the bathroom door was the nook that housed their stacked washer and dryer. He ignored the nook and went straight for the door that led to the little room that housed the toilet. He opened the door quickly but found nothing. He glanced around the toilet and then closed the door and walked over to the shower. He didn't locate the elf in the shower, so he checked all of the bathroom cabinets. Still nothing. He stood in the middle of the master bathroom for a few minutes, wondering what to do next. He started to head toward the kitchen, but as he did, he noticed that the overhead light for the laundry nook had been switched on. He tried to remember if it was on when he first entered the bathroom, but he hadn't paid attention. He approached the nook cautiously. He laughed in his head at himself a little because he was terrified while looking for the little stuffed doll. He reached the nook and first looked on both sides of the laundry stack. He bent down and opened the door for the washing machine, but found nothing inside. He reached up and opened the door to the dryer. It was empty too. Just as Aaron was about to close the dryer door, 
He heard a shuffling noise on top of the stack. He looked up to see the elf on a shelf. Before he could react, the elf jumped from the machine stack and onto Aaron's face. It tried to wrap its sonian hands around Aaron's head, but its arms were too short, so it continuously kicked its feet trying to remain on Aaron. Aaron let out a yelp and reached up, grabbing the elf with both hands. He tossed the elf into the dryer and quickly closed the door. He took a step back and could hear the elf start to pound on the inside of the door. Simone appeared in the bathroom doorway and asked him if everything was alright. Aaron looked over before he got a word out. The dryer door flung open and the elf once again lapped at Aaron. This time Aaron managed to catch the elf and began to violently flail and writhe its hands. Simone rushed over to try to help in some way and as she did Aaron threw the elf into the washing machine with force. Simone quickly closed the door to the washer and Aaron shouted at her, Turn it on, hurry, turn it on! Simone hit the start button and as the elf slammed into the glass of the door, the door latched and the drum began tossing the elf about inside. Aaron and Simone looked at each other in complete disbelief at what had just happened. Simone asked, What do we do now? Is it going to drown in there? Can it be killed? What is it? Aaron watched flashes of red and white tumble around inside the washing machine for a moment. Then he looked over at Simone and said, I don't know, but that door unlatches when the cycle ends, and apparently that thing had strength somehow to kill Jordan. He paused for a moment to look at the washing machine, then looked back at his wife and said, Get the kids out of the house. I'll stay here and figure out how to handle this. Simone replied, Are you crazy? You just said that it killed Jordan. What do you plan to do about it? Aaron thought for a moment and then said, We brought it into the house. Maybe we just need to get it out of the house. Simone reminded him that it had killed Jordan in the backyard, to which Aaron replied, Maybe it has to be completely out of our property. Who knows how long it sat in that antique shop without any trouble. It dumped Jordan in the lake. I'll do the same thing to the elf. I'll tie something on a weight down and make sure it sinks. That way I can never harm anyone again. Simone walked up to her husband and touched his face. She looked down at the washing machine and then back into his eyes. You don't have to be a hero. We can call the police or the detectives, Aaron replied. And tell them what? To send out a SWAT team because our elf on the shelf just attacked me? Go get the kids and get out of here. Simone asked him, where are we supposed to go? Aaron replied, I don't know, anywhere. Just give me some time. I'll call you when it's safe. Simone looked back down at the washing machine again and agreed. The couple hurried out to the kitchen to find the children eating some of the sugar cookies. They began pointing the finger at each other about whose idea it was to do so when Simone and Aaron told them that it was okay and didn't matter. Simone told the children to get their jackets and get into the car because they were going to drive around looking at Christmas lights. The children were confused by this. They never drove around looking at lights because the family was so well known for their own display. But after a slight hesitation, they did as their mother said. Aaron walked them to the garage and helped Simone get them into the car. When she got into the driver's seat, they were again confused and asked why Aaron wasn't going. Aaron told the kids, I have to stay here and do a video chat with Santa. He texted me and he needs to make sure that he has the right directions to get to our house. Madison and Trey looked at him like he was out of his mind and laughed. And then Taylor said, whatever, and then took out the mobile video game unit he brought with him and began to play.
Aaron leaned into the driver's side window and kissed Simone. She told him to be careful, and then she backed out of the garage. Once she had backed out onto the street, Aaron pushed the button on the wall to close the garage door, went back inside, and walked down the hall to his bedroom. Once in the bedroom, Aaron walked over to the closet and pulled out a large plastic tote. The tote contained Simone's yoga mat and some other workout equipment, which included a jump rope and two five-pound dumbbells. Aaron took the lid off the tote, took out the jump rope and one of the dumbbells. Then he walked over to the master bathroom, but was unprepared for what he saw when he got there. The washing machine door was wide open. Aaron slowly approached the washing machine. He quickly kicked the door shut and then hopped in front of the machine to look through the glass on the door. The elf was not inside. That's when Aaron realized that he had again been unobservant. He looked down at the floor and realized that the elf had left a trail for him to follow. The washing machine had soaked the elf and it was dripping water. Aaron followed the trail out of the bedroom and down the hallway. The drip went into the kitchen and Aaron followed it around the butcher block countertop. As he turned the corner at the end of the butcher block, he heard another shuffling sound behind him. He snapped his head around but only got a glimpse of a red blur going into the den. He walked over to the den and began looking around. Again, a shuffling sound followed by a tapping sound on the tile sounded behind him. He turned to see another flash of red head toward the living room. He carefully walked over to the living room, and as he approached, the gas fireplace next to the tree turned on. He stopped in his tracks and reassessed his approach as he considered. The Christmas tree began to rustle. After a moment, Aaron heard a noise that sounded like a piece of wood hitting the fireplace tile, and the tree stopped moving. Aaron waited for a moment, and then again began creeping toward the living room. As he neared the couch, he craned his neck to try to peer over to see the living room floor. Suddenly, the elf on a shelf leapt from the other side of the couch and landed on Aaron's face again. Aaron was knocked back a few steps by the impact. The elf gripped around Aaron's throat with its legs and began hitting him in the face repeatedly with its arms. The blows didn't hurt, but disoriented Aaron. He thought to himself that the elf felt impossibly heavy as it held onto him. He stumbled around and back into the couch, causing him to tumble over it backwards and onto the living room floor. The elf held its grip, and as Aaron laid in the middle of the living room, it continued its relentless attack. It continued to swipe at its face with its arms and seemed to be turning its head to focus its permanently positioned eyes on the fireplace. Aaron swatted and tugged at the elf, but he could not get it to release the grip on his neck. In fact, the harder he fought, the tighter the elf's leg lock on his throat became, and it was beginning to strangle him. Aaron began to kick his legs in panic as he fought to get the elf to let go, but he was beginning to lose consciousness. As Aaron's vision started to blur and go black, he felt something strike the elf with great force. The elf went flying directly into protective glass of the fireplace, and to Aaron's surprise, shattered it. The elf landed in the gas-fueled fire and instantly caught a blaze. It began to let out an unnatural squeal as the flames engulfed it. Aaron looked up to see Emma's father, standing over him. In his hand he was holding the nutcracker that Aaron and Simone had purchased in their first Christmas together. He had used it as a weapon to knock the elf off of Aaron. Emma's father tossed the nutcracker onto the couch and crouched down to check on Aaron. As he did, the elf leapt out of the fireplace, still ablaze, and lunged toward the two men. Aaron instinctively swatted it away with his arm and the elf was knocked into the Christmas tree, 
and the tree lit up like a candle wick. The carpet and furniture around it quickly caught fire as well. The tree shook as the elf continued its unholy squeals of agony. The tree began to fall over, and Emma's father quickly yanked Aaron out of the way. He got to his feet and helped Aaron to do the same. Then the two men ran out the front door. They reached the street and both turned to look back at the house. The squeals of the elf had stopped, but they could see through the windows and the front door that the entire living room was now engulfed in flames. As they were spreading to the kitchen and the rest of the common area, it wouldn't be long before the flames would spread down the hallways and take over the entire house. Emma's dad pulled his phone from his pocket and called 911 to report the fire. All Aaron and he could do before the fire department arrived was watch as the Thompson house burned. A few days later, Aaron and Simone arrived at what was left of their home to meet their insurance adjuster. There was caution tape around the house and it was no longer structurally sound. Luckily, most of the Thompson's neighbors had been out for Christmas Eve, so they didn't need to be evacuated while the firefighters worked. The firefighters were able to keep the blaze from damaging any other homes. The Wagners had invited the Thompson family to stay with them until their homeowner's insurance was able to get them into temporary housing while the next steps were taken. As Simone and Aaron walked around the property with their adjuster, they explained to them how the process was going to work. The group made their way into what was left of the living room when Aaron's attention was diverted by something he saw lying in the rubble. He walked over to what he saw and Simone stopped paying attention to the adjuster to see what her husband was doing. The adjuster noticed that neither were paying attention and also watched Aaron curiously. Aaron moved around a few pieces of debris and picked up what he had seen underneath it. He stood up, turned around, and held up the family's nutcracker to show Simone. It was a little dirty, but had somehow survived the fire. Aaron looked at his wife and said, this isn't the first time we've had to start from nothing. Simone smiled and walked over to hug Aaron. As the couple embraced, Aaron continued to hold the nutcracker in his hand behind Simone's back. The adjuster smiled and then noticed something about the nutcracker that the couple had not. He noticed that it was missing its little white fabric beard. A few miles away at the Heritage Funeral Home, the funeral director and his assistant were arriving from a pickup at the Green Heaven Hospital morgue. The medical examiner performed the autopsy on Jordan and the Heritage Funeral Home had been hired to perform the funeral. The hearse arrived at the funeral home, and the director and his assistant got out to unload Jordan's body. They opened the back door of the hearse, and the assistant pulled out his logbook. The funeral home had a protocol they followed. They verified the body's identification before loading up and before unloading. The assistant opened his book and scanned down to the proper line. He asked the director, Okay, read me the name on the toe tag. The director replied, Deceased's name is Jordan Victor Wolf. 